welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Thank you, Rena, and thank you for everybody being here. Um, I'm Jessica, recovering sexaholic, calling from Arizona. My sobriety date is January 20th. And I'd like to first start, start off with a third step prayer. Um, God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may, that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear, may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. Okay. So I, um, right before this meeting, I just had a lot of emotion come over me because saying it makes it real for me. Um, oh, I did not want to start crying. Okay, so I came from a very dysfunctional family. My father was an alcoholic. He was abusive, a very depressed person, and a, a workaholic. And my mother was also very depressed. She isolated herself a lot. There wasn't a lot of love in our family or open communication, and even talking or expressing our emotions is just something that we didn't do. Um, I rarely heard, I love you. Um, it was just like I was there. Um, there was infidelity on both sides of my parents. I took the role at a very young age to manage and take care of my parents and siblings. Being the oldest of eight, I made it my job to protect everyone in my family. Whether it be to get in in front of my dad so he would stop beating my mom, take my brothers and sisters to another room so they wouldn't see. My father had a lot of black outrages that he wouldn't even remember. My first abuse that came my way was a close friend of my parents who groomed me and then molested me at age four. Upon me going to my mother, only to be told that I was lying and it was me whose fault it was because I would always get dressed up to see him. My mom called a close friend in which she listened to me and that's when the courts got involved, which was another um, traumatic experience for me. Um, Back when I was four, there wasn't a lot of... um, laws to protect children so i remember being in the courtroom and having to face my abuser and i just couldn't i couldn't stop crying i was afraid that he was going to do something to me so they passed the law um back in i think it was 84 85 uh to protect children and not have to testify in front of their abusers um which i didn't find out until um many years later um a couple of years passed and we ended up moving to California only to find out later that my mom's pregnancy was from another man besides my father. And then it was as soon as my sister was born, my dad left, my stepdad came out, literally that day packed us into a U-Haul and we came back to Arizona. Um, 
shortly after that, my dad, my stepdad molested me. That next morning, I told my mom right away. And she made me come out, and I remember having a sheet over my face or my whole body. She made me say it to him and say, what did you just say he did to you? Um, and I told, I told him he did this to me, you know, in front of my mom. He, he denied it, said I thought it was you, thought it was my mom. And she called me a liar again, and it just was never brought up until I heard from my sister that it was happening to her. We tried to confront him again, and we got shut down. Um, so that it went on until I was about 17 years old. Um, and then I left the house. I then married and had two daughters with my stepdad's half-brother. The dysfunction continued. Um, we went through an awful court trial with my stepfather while still being a part of his family. I tried to manage as much of a perfect life while in the background having affairs. I worked as an escort. I lived in fantasy over phone chat, online chat, masturbation, and pornography, all while trying to work two jobs, raise two daughters, and deal with my ex, who had a lot of his own addictions, which with being in recovery, I can see it all looking back how dysfunctional um, that whole situation was and and what he had, too. Um, That marriage eventually ended, and again, a new one with my current husband. And while in my past relationship, too, I mean, I I did a lot of stuff. I had a lot of physical relationships with men. It was was just, I, I don't even know how many. I just had a lot, and it just went from one thing to another, things that I would never think that I would have ever done, and I did. Um, But then with my new husband, I thought it was, you know, going to be different, and it was for a while. The acting out physically with other men stopped, but there was still fantasy, wanting to be lusted after, the connection, masturbation, and pornography. And the high that I got from being with my new husband of me being his everything, you know, once that wore off, an old acting out partner, which I still always had some kind of contact with, came back into my life because of my actions. I was lonely, experiencing pain, isolation. I was drinking a lot. So my addict reached out. I needed connection. I needed to be loved. And the only way I know how is through sex and manipulation. My bottom with him was my husband was out of town a lot. And I had reached out to him when I was drinking, and I told him to come over. And one thing led to another, and I acted out. And I had a lot of, I had just extreme guilt. I tried to end it. Um, But part of my, one of my things is dependency and caretaking. And I, I then found out I was pregnant. And I knew it wasn't my husband. He had been fixed, and he was out of town. Um, And then I did another thing that I, never, ever, ever said I would do, even if something bad had happened to me and I had an abortion. Um, and, and not being able to just, like, stop talking to my um, acting out partner because I, I felt guilt. He, I felt like I had to take care of him, too. Um, both of us grieved. We really did, I really didn't get a lot of grieving time. I was just more worried about what everybody else was going through. And I was still living in this fantasy world that everything would be fine. But that led me to get addicted to pills, um, more emotional or inappropriate emotional friendships with men, craving connection, 
over what I thought was harmless chat. Um, and then my second big bottom before I got into essay, um, we had a, a lot of trauma came up with my stepdad. Um, and it was all him. He went in a public way to a TV show um, saying he was accused wrongly. We went on the show, um, which ended up not being what I thought it was going to be. Um, it was very traumatic. It brought up things that I didn't even remember. And while we were there in L.A., it was um, me going to a bar, found somebody else, took him back to the hotel. I did it again. And it was just like this. When is this going to stop? Um, the only good thing that came out of that TV show was um, that I had the opportunity to go to a treatment center for a week. Um, and that was just like a, a small fraction. That was the first time I'd ever even dealt with anything. So I go there, you know, I actually had met somebody else in SA who I still talk to. Um, and uh, a good brother in the program, he's not in the program anymore, but I still reach out to him and I think there's hope. But um, they had told me, you know, when you leave that I needed essay. And I was like, that's crazy. I don't need essay. I'm, I don't need sexaholics. No, I'm not a sex addict. I'm the victim. This isn't where I belong, you know. I tried to find a therapist, and I did start going, not to essay, because, again, I didn't think that was for me. While maintain, um, I went to a therapist, and I was maintaining what I thought was good, but still ended up connecting emotionally with someone that my husband knew, um, and it never got physical. It was just more the chatting inappropriateness. I started seeing that it was just getting too, too much. Uh, my husband um, put a camera in our house, and when he was out of town, I had an old friend come over, and I was disclosing to her my first bottom about me um, having the abortion. And, and at that time, my addict was talking to her, and it was all fantasy land, you know, like everything that I thought was perfect, and if it would have only been this. So my husband heard all that, and uh, he came back home you know, livid, wanted a divorce. I was trying to disclose as much. I, it's like I hit my bottom. It's like something's wrong with me. I need help. Um, I went to a therapist that my friend recommended, and my husband went in there with me, still had no hope for me. I think he just was caring for me that he'll be here to help me. And he told me, my therapist said, are you willing to do anything? Are you willing to go to any lengths for your marriage? And I said, yes. And he said, you need to join SA and get a sponsor right away. And I just looked at him like, okay. So how I got into SA is I tried to call. Um, I went on to the website. I looked for meetings. There is nothing here where I'm from in Tucson, Arizona. It's only, there was only a men's meeting. And I said, you know what? I'm going to go. I have to go. There's nothing else. So I went to my first meeting. With about you know twenty two men I think in this small little room, um, turned into a newcomers meeting. I'd never even been to a twelve step. It ended up being very triggering for me because some of the men in there, um, they were in there for reasons that I was a victim of, and it really triggered me. And I think a lot of the men saw that. But what I'm very grateful for is that it didn't stop them from coming up to me after the meeting and telling me 
to go back on call, there's a women's like meeting and it was out of Canada. So I, did, I went to that meeting and uh, I think it was, I was two weeks into that meeting and then I heard a speaker and I reached out right away and then October 6th, I got my sponsor, um, which I'm ever so grateful for. Um, my family in the beginning knew all about this part of, I never felt uncomfortable telling my family that I was an essay, that I needed help, set boundaries, um, which I always still had a hard, hard time doing because I have a hard time asking for my needs. But um, my family knew I was an essay. And it's weird because I see all my family and everybody has little things and all of them can be in some kind of a program. And I just didn't feel like I needed to hide that from them. And it also helped me with my boundaries and the dysfunction of the family being like, nope, I'm in recovery. Um, but I still kept, I still did keep relapsing um, with myself. It was just like, what's going on here? Like, why, why does this keep happening? And it took um, my husband recently, it was about, I mean, I've been doing this for six months being, you know, being sober. Um, but lost me sorry um something isn't working and i needed to put others all the time was um it was leading me back to the same back and forth um with my husband and my husband ended up detaching for a day and then he came back home and i found something in his phone and then i left and this is when i was kind of going talking to my sponsor a lot and reaching out and not being afraid to talk um, to other people because that's one of my character defects is I try to take care of everything myself and not reach out. So it was, it's been the last six months surrendering, letting go and reaching out to people and letting my higher power take care of me. Like I have to tell myself every day, just let go and your higher power loves you and he is going to take care of you no matter what happens. Like you're worthy, you're worthy of love. And, and it was, it's letting that part go that I think that has finally kept me from acting out with self and being um, like loving myself. And it's still a work in progress. Um, another uh, thing that's been helping me um, is the last three months is working on my character defects, doing nightly reviews, continuing to pause and listen for my higher power direction, journaling. I listen to a lot of podcasts and the daily reprieve since the very beginning of my recovery. Um, I love listening to the daily reprieve. Um, I say a third step prayer a lot. And um, a quote that really sticks with me is change is, in an change is inevitable. So embrace it, even if it seems uncomfortable. New beginnings are often disguised as painful endings. And a lot of what I've been going through is just the fear. It's like when I say it, it's real. And I've never dealt with that. I've really just shoved stuff down. So this program and the people in it and just, um, it's just a day-to-day, -day, like sometimes minute by minute. And I used to be afraid to even say that because I was perfect. I had to all be all lined out where I could just sit down and I could do it all at once. And that didn't work for a year and a half of my program. It took me 
to let go and start facing my character defects. And I'm currently working on step four. Um, let's see. And I have a working on abandonment issues and I'm afraid to be alone. Um, I've been working with my therapist on who am I if I'm not pleasing anybody, which has been really hard because I didn't realize how much I didn't know anything about myself. It was only about who I am when I'm pleasing somebody else. So taking that step back and setting boundaries and um, within these last four months, three to four months, I actually did leave my house and I stayed at my sister's house because I knew that if I was home dealing with stuff here, I wasn't going to be able to focus on myself. So I had to take myself out of where I was comfortable and put myself somewhere where I was very uncomfortable and force myself to face fears and feel the feelings that I have been shoving so far down just to work on myself and work on this program. Um, And with that, um, fear, face everything and recover. And that's like what I've been doing is just facing everything and recovering. Um, And with that, I will stop. Thank you guys so much. All right, that was fantastic. Thank you so much, Jessica, in Arizona for your wonderful share today. Very moving. And now we're going to go to Q&A. In participation, we avoid topics that can lead to dissension or distraction. We also avoid explicit sexual descriptions and sexually abusive language. The emphasis is on honesty, recovery, and healing. How to apply the 12 steps and 12 traditions in our daily lives. No crosstalk, please, which means interrupting, giving advice, or criticizing someone else's share. If you feel someone's getting too explicit, you can still signify by saying my hand is raised, at which point I might consult a group caution. Okay, so I'm going to allow everyone to unmute themselves. Um, actually, not quite what I wanted to do. One moment. Okay, so if you'd like to ask a question, please press star six to unmute. State your name, where you're calling from, and please make your question brief. We have a ton of callers uh, in the space today. We want to get as many questions as possible. Okay, Rob, one quick question, please. Yeah, um, how hard was it to stop the masturbation, the acting out? Like, I mean, as of today, is the compulsion still as strong, or is it weakened? Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Rob. You know, um, the compulsion isn't, it, it's actually, it's not, it's not there. I mean, I guess I can't say it won't come back, but what helped for me was surrendering it and starting to work on myself. I think I was just, um, that was an easy escape for me. It's just like, you know, taking a pain pill or drinking a drink. It's like when I was feeling down on myself or starting to feel all my feelings, or I started noticing a pattern that if I got in a fight with my husband or I was stressed or, or anything, I would, I would act out with self. Um, that was my release, make me feel better for that little moment. So once I started facing everything and journaling and reaching out and doing nightly reviews, just surrendering it right away has really helped me out. hope that helped. Thank you. <laughs> 
right. Thank you. Would like to be next? This is Hank in Ohio. Go ahead, Hank. Jessica, thanks for your story. It was uh, remarkable what you told us here. And my question uh, to you is, uh, you said that you stopped or you found yourself by stop trying to please everybody else and working on yourself and setting boundaries. Uh, can you elaborate a little bit more on that uh, by what you mean by working on yourself and setting boundaries? Okay. So one thing with the boundaries is setting boundaries to myself also. Um, and what I mean about that is being okay, like to say, okay, you're not going to do this. And it's the small things like, for an example, with my husband, it was starting to recognize that I was pleasing and just doing what he wanted to do or what I thought he would want me to do. So once I started like noticing that I was taking care of myself, it was easy for me to work on myself, if that makes sense. So a boundary was, well, maybe you should come back home because then you could be home. And I said, no, I know that I need to be away from home and I'm going to stay away and be uncomfortable and work on myself. If I were to come back home, I wouldn't have done what I did in the two and a half months that I was out of the house. I hope that helped. I, I don't, I don't, yeah. Yes, thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Hank. Let's have the next person with a question. Hi, Jessica George in the UK. Hello. Hi, yeah. Um, it's not so much a question. It's just that I just want to say thank you for your share. Powerful. I wish you well on your journey. And for me, I can relate to you about the feelings, but I couldn't. The, the abstinence and the work in, 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 in uh, dealing with the lust did not stop the feelings. There was something much deeper and it was codependency. So, but it was done for me. It was taken off me. It was done. God done it in his own way when I was ready to deal with it. Um, and it came in the lockdown. So there was a lockdown. And once I got onto the SA telephone meetings, for some reason, because they were there every day and I didn't need to be codependent on anyone. I had the meetings to rely on SA and it really done me the feelings. And now they've gone. I'm all right. I haven't come. It was so like, the powerful, overwhelming feelings that, I can't describe the pain that they were, and I just couldn't cope with them. I had to act out codependently, but it was deeper than us. But the SA program, and then I got myself a sponsor, and uh, them feelings that you mentioned are not there. And um, false evidence appearing as real. Fear is, is, is my problem mm-hmm. today on a daily basis. It's the intrusive thoughts, and they're just false evidence appearing as real. And instead of face everything and run, it's the same kind of scenario. Uh, but thank you, Jessica. God bless you. Thank you. I wish you well on your journey. Thank you, John. Thank you, George, in the UK for that question. George. We have a few more people. We have 20 more minutes for Q&A.
I heard a voice who wanted to ask a question. I didn't catch the name. Hi, this is uh, John in Georgia. Go ahead, John. Hey, um, thank you, Jessica, so much for your share. I really, really appreciated it. Um, my question is, uh, what, what has what places your higher power played in your recovery? Thank you. Thank you. You know, it took me a long time to get to the place where I felt comfortable asking my higher power for help. Um, I had very traumatic um, religious also upbringing. Um, so it, it took me a long time, and, and within the last, well, not just two, three months ago, is when I really started just, you know, asking. Every time it's pausing and asking for help. And, and it's like that saying, you know, you just keep doing until it becomes, like, real. So I just kept doing it until it started becoming real, until I started feeling comfortable and just listening with my gut. My, it's from what, for me, it's my higher power. It's like that first thing that I feel, I go with it, and I don't question myself. And I have seen the spiritual awakening by doing that and listening to it and being open. It takes me, I like to be outside. I like to be in the nature. And if I have to get up and walk out and breathe and just get out of my head, and just sit and listen. And that's what's helped me in going with my first intuition gut, which is my higher power. And it hasn't let me down since. So I'm going to keep doing what's working. Thank you. Oh, I love the question and the answer. Thank you so much. Who else would like to ask the question of our speaker today, Jessica in Arizona? This is Glenn in St. Louis. I'd like to talk a bit. You could comment. Sure, Glenn. Go ahead, please. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Jessica, for your your share. Yeah, I got a chance to meet Jessica. Uh, oh, about six months ago at one of our retreats, and it was a real pleasure and a treat to meet her and her husband. And I still have that uh, serenity band on that your husband gave us. So I do want to thank you for your share and uh, see your husband. Tell, say, tell him that Glenn said hi. That's my share. Thanks. Thank you, Glenn. Great to hear you on here. All right. Thank you so much. Who else would like to ask a question? Hello, my name is uh, Motti. I'm from London, UK. Can you hear me? Yes, Motti, go ahead. Yeah, um, thank you, Jessica, for your share. Very, very powerful, uh, very helpful. Um, I wanted to ask, uh, you mentioned about thinking you need to take care of everyone from a very early childhood, uh, thinking they need to, you know, to make sure everyone is okay. Uh, how, how are you able in recovery to to take the balance between, you know, helping others, being of service to others, but not getting obsessed with control, uh, overworking, uh, doing it in an healthy way, if you can speak a bit about it. Okay. Um, 
so how do I manage my taking care of everybody like I grew up doing pretty, pretty much? Yes, how you, you, you can at the moment uh, do the responsibilities you have as a wife or as a worker or whatever and not getting engaged in over-responsibility kind of uh, making over-pleasing everyone. Okay. Yes, that is still a work in progress, but I can tell you I have improved, improved a lot. How I do it is, is really um, every day I tell myself what's one thing I could do for recovery, whether it be something small, um, because I, I over, um, like, how do I explain it? It's, I would try to overwhelm myself, and if I didn't get it done, I would put shame on myself, and then I would get discouraged. Same thing with um, helping people. But that has been a work in progress over the two years of me being in recovery, where it's a little bit at a time, and it's getting easier and easier. Um, but it's, it's a schedule for me. I'm really busy, um, like super, super busy. Um, all of our kids are out of the house besides one, so it's, it is maintaining a schedule, which helps me, um, and setting boundaries. If I can't do something, I just say no. I don't try to um, make an excuse anymore. It's like if I can't do something, it's like, sorry, I can't do it. And, and that has been hard for me, but it just, I just had to start saying it because I was losing my time, and, uh, and so – that's the best way I can answer is you just start, you just have to start somewhere. Little ways, just say no. Thank you. Very helpful. Mm-hmm. All right, Angie, uh, let's try. Yeah, hi, I just, I need to speak really quick. Thanks, Serena. Um, I'm yeah. actually at work, but wanted to squeeze in and say, Jessica, I love you and I'm so proud of you for being open and willing and working hard because, you know, the miracles happen. They really, really do. I've experienced it in my own recovery and uh, so grateful and thankful for your your love and support and friendship. And so that's what I needed to say and wanted to share with the group. So God bless you and keep on the path. Thank you, Angie. You make me cry. <laughs> Again. Thank you so much for your for your comment, Angie. And we still have about ten more minutes for Q and A. So if you have not yet asked a question, please come on in now. Well, this is Joe in Indiana. Um, Indiana, go ahead. And thank you, <laughs> Jessica, for your share, for your service today. Thank you, Rena. Um, two questions, if I may, double dip. Um, one question is, you were, you mentioned therapy and, um, and the program. I'm curious to know if, what did you, if you can differentiate what you worked on with your therapist, um, and what do you think, you you know, you learned in, 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 in the program? Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. So with my therapist, I'm grateful that he actually has worked at a treatment center out here. Um, and he works in 12 step recovery. 
so um, he has been he's been able to guide me in the sense of knowing what the recovery like the 12 step program is and where I'm at and um, he has been for two years just higher power higher power it's just like this you know just it's like just constantly telling me well Jessica I've been telling you your higher power you know your higher power and um, once I got that it's like everything else started to fall into place and then I'm thinking like why didn't I get this sooner I could have saved all this misery but you know I realized that I needed to have all this misery to get to where I am in the program so that now I could start working and continuing to feel my spiritual have these spiritual awakenings um, and then I just started a new therapist with a, a couple's therapist we we drive uh, we just started last week. It's a two and a half hour drive. Um, so it's like I'm in three programs, marriage program, my personal therapy, and then my recovery therapy with my 12 step. But I'd say my 12 step program and my therapy have been going hand in hand because my therapist knows about 12 steps. So it's been really helpful. It's like a continue, a continuous like continuing um, work. Thank you so you much. <laughs> thanks, thanks. I appreciate it. And 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 uh, yeah. Um, if I could ask one more question, um, it would be, you know, because I definitely related to what the part where you were sharing about how um, you didn't never heard the words "I love you" growing up, and I had the same thing growing up. Um, I'm just curious about the boundaries, like. How did you find? Did you find it difficult, and how uh, making boundaries in recovery uh, with those people who you felt are not healthy for you, and you know how how did that how was that process? Okay, um, as far as the boundaries with my family, um, it wasn't hard for me. It, it's really weird. It's like, as soon as I got out, you know, when you get out of a therapy place, you come out and you're like super strong and you're like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And I think the, the great part of that trauma that I experienced that led me to that was that when I came out and being able to tell my family, look, I hit my bottom, like I'm going through this. And, um, and I just kind of like, even with my mom, she, she would say, you're not talking to me as much. Am I triggering you? And I would just tell her, no, mom, it's not you. It's me. I'm working on myself. And, you know, and, and not putting, making her feel shameful, but letting her know that I'm just working on myself and it has nothing to do with her. Um, but I did have to not talk to them as much while I was, you know, still processing all this stuff in my head. And, and it's kind of stuck with it. My, my parents, my family, if they invite me somewhere I, and it's on a night that I have a meeting, I'm like, sorry, I can't, I can't do Thursday nights. I moderate. Or, you know, I have to. It's all about a schedule, and, and, and then they know that now. So it's kind of like we do things on the days that I don't really have a lot to do with recovery. And with that, it's been easy. It's been hard with, like, my immediate family, with my husband and my children. 
Um, and that's something that I'm working on, you know, and it's small baby steps. Thank you so much. God bless you. All right. Thank you, Indiana Joe. Let's take a couple more questions. And if you would like to not be on the recording, um, I'll be happy to pause the recording during your question. Would like to be next? This is Hank again. If nobody else has a first question, I've got a second question for Jessica. Uh, just pause on that. Let's see if anyone else comes up with one. And if not, sure. Okay. All right. Take it away, Hank. Okay. Thank you, Rena. Jessica, again, I'll follow-up question. You said you were the oldest of eight. <clears throat> and my question is, uh, how are your younger siblings doing, uh, having grown up in the same environment as you did? Uh, are any of them fighting uh, addiction problems? Uh, how, how are they doing? Thank you for that, Hank. Um, like I said earlier, you know, I could see now being in recovery with family of origins, like how it has passed um, to other families. So um, all of my brothers or yeah, my brothers and sisters, they all have addictions. None of them are in recovery. Um, I can only hope that one day they, my one sister who is really close with me, um, who um, she's only three years younger than me. She's actually kind of started searching out some recovery groups um codependent you know like uh different things and uh but my other brothers and sisters no i they all have addictions though um my two younger brothers didn't grow up um in the household at, with the same with me but so the other five did and everybody has addictions but no one's in recovery um but there's small hopes you know it, but the way i i guess our relationships changed is it's just like my verbiage and the way I talk to them and um, that's what's changed. And so the continuing of the dysfunction or like the victimization that I used to go back and forth with all my brothers and sisters to try to like manage and take care of them and, and help them has stopped um, because I'm able to kind of pass on a different hope. And I've, been recently talking to my one of my sisters who I know could be an essay and um, but she's not there yet you know and I, I just got to keep keep being positive with her and hope that she sees what what's what's going on with me and my I see it with my kids though I a huge trigger for me has been my oldest daughter because she's doing the same exact thing that I did um, the same exact thing and, and actually there's some things that she's done that's crossed the line that's a little worse um and she knows about essay she actually has been to um a retreat with me i brought her along you know and um but she's just also not there yet so i just have to keep hoping that one day you know she will get there 
and that's a struggle for me right now is uh, my, I just feel a lot of guilt and shame for what's happened to my children, my two oldest girls, because they've seen a lot. And that's something that I'm trying to work through. It's very, very hard. I still get really triggered. Um, and it's like I almost break down because I don't know how to properly communicate with them. It's just like I want to be like, look at your mom, you know. Don't make the same mistakes. But, um, and then they still deal with their father who's an active addiction, and I can't control that. So it's, it's really painful when it comes to my daughters. Hmm. Well, well, it sounds like you're being an excellent role model. So uh, keep on doing what you're doing. God bless you. Thank you, Hank. All right, thank you, Hank, in Ohio. Uh, would anyone else like a one more quick question before we go to announcements? Yeah, Pat Sexaholic. Yeah, Pat in New York. Go ahead. Um, I'd like to ask if we could have this unrecorded. Uh, sure, just a moment. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.